0: Good morning. There's um, an awful lot of things that can kind of ruin your day. Um, or at least feel like they're ruining your day. Uh, one of those happened to me uh, Thursday morning. Uh, glad to see our uh, police officers here. You know, they, they, will, they will help share the other side of the story, maybe. But I was driving to work, and um, I did something I've done quite a few times, and I've seen many people do. Uh, The the exit lane, where I exit off the freeway to get to my work, uh, tends to get backed up. And uh, one of the things that that tempts you to do is get in that lane as off as soon as you can. And uh, if you're familiar with how the freeways are designed, Um, where the lane, uh, the on-ramp, off-ramp, join, uh, there's going to be a section, area where you can move over and an area where you can't. The area where you can't is marked with a double white line. You're not supposed to go over this. Okay? Um, I did. Thursday morning. um, And uh, and that's what I got to see in my back view -view mirror. (laughs) And, you know, at first I was like, you know, is that for me? You know, because I've just done it so many times. I've seen other people do it so many times. I, you know, can I really be pulled over for that? And the answer is yes. <laughs> you can get pulled over for going over double white lines, which, you know, I knew I'm not supposed to. Right? You know, if you, if you learn to drive, that's one of the things that you must have been taught at some point. Do not cross the double white line or a double yellow line. Um, So, why am I sharing that? Well, we live in a world. We live in a world uh, where people disregard the law of God. People disregard the law of God. They do things that God says not to do, and they do it all the time. And as a result, we think that we can get away with disregarding the laws of God, right? Everybody does it. I've done it many times myself, and you know nobody is being struck down by lightning, so it must be okay. Uh, but the answer is no. And uh, one place we could see that is 2 Peter, so if you have your Bible, you could turn to 2 Peter, uh, or I think we, we may have the words up there. Uh, 2 Peter tells us in verse 3, uh, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Right? They're walking according to their own lusts. They do what they want to do, right? Even though that's not what God wants them to do. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They're like, well, yeah, God keeps talking. The Bible keeps talking. People keeps telling me God's going to come and judge us. But, uh, you know, we're not seeing it happening. (laughs) Right. Um, for this, verse 5, they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So this is referring to the flood. There was a great flood that destroyed uh, the world as, we, as, as they knew it. Uh, and, and eventually formed the world as we know it today and our people willfully forget that fact. They don't want to remember that God has already judged the earth and he will judge again. Verse uh, 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So God will judge the world and today... Uh, we will have an opportunity to look at the beginning of that judgment. But I wanted to go ahead and and continue with verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has been waiting uh, for people to repent and come to him. He's not lazy uh, in applying his judgment. He's not weak and unable to apply his judgment, but he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. And so he's been giving us time, been giving us time, been giving us time. And, and finally, as we continue on in our study of Revelation today, uh, we'll see the time has come when God will pour out his judgment on the earth, the beginning of pulling out His judgment on the earth. So with that, uh, you can turn to uh, Revelation chapter 6. Look started us. Oh, actually wait, wait, uh, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about. Um, and that is the type of judgment we're looking at today, and really we'll be looking at for the next uh, few months before we get to the final judgment. Usually when we think about God's judgment. Um, well, it, it can be confused because there's many judgments that happen in the Bible. right? God uh, judged Adam and Eve right, when they disobeyed him and took from the, the fruit from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, right? and they got put out of the Garden of Eden, and death came into mankind. That was one judgment. The flood, we talked about. Um, the nation of Israel was judged by God idolatry, and all the surrounding nations uh, were judged by God. Um, So what kind of judgment are we talking about? Uh, I think that that picture uh, that's up there, or behind me rather, uh, captures some of it. You may remember uh, David covering it last week. He talked about this image that King uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw uh, in his dream and that Daniel had to come and interpret uh, the dream to him, and that he explained that that image represents nations. Uh, You could just look at that while I read the passage. Um, After 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 Daniel describes to Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of of the image he saw, so the head represented the Babylonian Empire, the chest, the arms represented uh, the Persian Mede, Empire, the uh, uh, thighs represented the Greek Empire, the legs represented the Roman Empire, and the feet actually represented what some people will call the future Roman Empire or world empire. These were all world empires, they they ruled the world in their their day. Uh, The feet uh, describing really this future empire that uh, will be fulfilled during these days of tribulation. But what you see coming in the back there, there's a rock or a stone, Uh, we're told in verse 34 of Daniel chapter 2, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That, that stone represents the Lord Jesus, right? Coming in judgment and destroying, if you would, uh, the world empire uh, that will exist during the period of tribulation. But we could think of it in a larger way as representing the world itself, Uh, mankind as a unit uh, ruling itself uh, in rebellion against God, right? This is uh, the judgment which we will see in in the book of of Revelation is really God's judging the world that has rebelled against him as a nation in a sense. It's a judgment of of a world nation. it's not the individual judgment of people against their sins. We will see that happen in the end of the book of Revelation. When we get to chapter 20, that's the great white throne judgment, which each person individually will have to stand before God and have to give an account for their sins. Books will be open describing your life specifically, and then you will be consigned to eternal damnation, or if your name is written in the book of life, uh, you'll be in heaven for all of eternity. Right? That's That's the final judgment. That's the most important judgment. This is a temporal judgment. Uh, people might die during this time that will go to heaven, and people will die during this time who will go to hell. And some people won't die. There will be people who will survive this seven period, seven year of uh, tribulation and that will enter the millennium afterward, right? But the world as a unit is being judged at this, this time, and it's described as, uh, complete destruction, right? It says that they were crushed together. They became like chaff uh, that the wind will carry it away. There will be nothing left of the world as we know it. And I'm not speaking so much of the physical world as much of the political world, right? We're not no longer going to be a, uh, a world that shakes its fist against God. Uh, what will be left on the earth will be a kingdom on we, over which Christ will reign at the end of the seven uh, years. Uh, One more thing that I want to say about it, because this really is a terrible time for the Earth. So I want to make sure we look at the flip side of it. Uh, I do have a slide that shows the seals, the trumpets, and uh, the bowls. And and it's a series of judgments and events, uh, like I said, that, that really will be awful for those who live on the Earth. Uh, Some of them will actually reveal an aspect of God's salvation. Uh, And so we want to realize God is still at the work of saving sinners. As we saw looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, God is patient and he wants everybody to be saved. And during this time as judgment uh, are coming upon people, the hope is, among other things, is that people will come to the end of themselves and realize that they need a savior. Right Right now, you talk to someone about the need for a Savior, they're like, (laughs) life's good. (laughs) I don't need need Jesus. Uh, The world will become a very different place during these seven years. You'll either recognize your need for Jesus, or you're going to be shaking your fist at him, because it's going to be so obvious that the judgment of God is coming upon this world. So so that's just kind of an overview as as we delve into it. Let's go ahead and now uh, read Revelation chapter 6. So that's where we are specifically today. We'll be looking at the first, I should say, the second, third, and fourth seal of what you see up there. I'll go ahead and start at verse 1, so it'll also include the first seal just so we capture the context of it. So starting at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 6. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. That was the first horse. These, by the way, are sometimes referred to as the four horses of the apocalypse. Uh, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it, had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So first, quickly, uh, the white horse, or horseman, um, this is the image that uh, David showed uh, uh, last week, uh, the white horseman. Uh, He pointed out the fact that the guy has a bow, Uh, and no arrows, which suggests that he's not actually uh, killing anyone. He's more uh, establishing his rule in a peaceful manner. And that uh, it fits well with uh, Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 27. Uh, You may remember we studied it a couple weeks ago, uh, Daniel chapter 9, and I mentioned that this is referring to the Antichrist, and it says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And the week there is a, uh, a week of prophetic years, a period of seven years. So It's talking about this uh, period of seven-year tribulation that we're now studying in Revelation. And uh, uh, he will be a man that is somehow able uh, to convince people to agree with his covenants right, uh, with his rules. And people ask me, they look at the situation in Israel right now, and they're saying, is, is this a prophetic fulfillment? You know, is this something the Bible said uh, that was going to happen? And I tell them, I don't see any specific fulfillment of prophecy in what happened in Israel, but I see a preparation for prophecy to be fulfilled. Uh, because it talks here of the Antichrist as coming in and making a covenant, and it'll be a covenant with the nation of Israel, uh, because he will be breaking it halfway through, which we will see has to do with him entering the temple and defiling the temple. Uh, so why will the Antichrist have a covenant with the nation of Israel? Why do they need a covenant? Well, you look at the terrible situation that's there right now with the war with Gaza, and you know Hezbollah, and... You know, just all the the political strain that's going on there. And you could imagine how people will just jump at somebody who can offer a solution to the problem. If somebody could come in, offer something that sounds good to Israel and sounds good to the Palestinians and all the powers that be, uh, they will jump on that solution right now. And uh, that person uh, is likely the Antichrist. Uh, So it suggests to me that uh, this could happen very soon, right? I, I, I can't think of a period in my life uh, that was there was more political strain than there is right now uh, in the nation of Israel. Granted, I've only been around for 49 years. You know, some of you have been around longer. But uh, yeah, this is, and I'll talk a little bit more about it later. Um, right now, Israel is is. Um, it's like a hornet's nest, like never before during my time. Um, so very, they're very ready for this guy to show up and offer a covenant, right? They would jump at it. Um, okay, the second seal, that's where we're really starting our study. Uh, that's the, that uh, has a, a red horseman. Red is often you know, viewed as the color of blood, the color of war. Uh, it says here that... Um, uh, he will take peace from the earth, uh, and that people should kill one another. Most people think of this as a war, or many wars going on, and that does fit with um, what Jesus told his disciples on the Mount of Olives. In, in, uh, his, during his last week, when, during Jesus' ministry, his disciples came to him, and they're like, okay, we, we're, we're beginning to get the picture that you're not ready to take the throne in Jerusalem and rule as a Messiah. We're just beginning to get it, right? Uh, so tell us, when will it happen? Okay, when will it happen? And, and he gives them a list of things to look forward to, to prepare them for his return. And uh, among them are these verses in Matthew 24, 6 and 8. It says, uh, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Everything he says in these verses matches with these uh, uh, three judgments we're looking at today. Uh, wars. Uh, Famines, pestilences, right? And Jesus called these the beginning of sorrows, which matches with the first three and a half years of the period uh, of tribulation. So we know this is happening at the beginning uh, of the period of tribulation. So wars, we know that causes a lot of bloodshed. Uh, uh, During uh, World War II was probably the bloodiest war uh, this world has ever seen, and about 50 million people died. Uh, A lot of them were actually civilians. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, that was a terrible, terrible bloodletting, uh, World War II. Uh, to try to put that in perspective, uh, in, the, in the end of this passage, it says that a quarter of the earth was killed. A quarter of the earth was killed by these three horsemen, the red, the black, and the pale horse that's coming. Uh, so let's just assume that the deaths were evenly distributed, right? So one-third of one-fourth. So a fourth of the Earth right now is about 2 billion people. There's like 7.7, 7.8 billion people right now. So let's say one-fourth, 2 billion people are going to die during, let's assume it's the three and a half years we're talking about now. Uh, And a third of them are going to die by uh, this people killing one another, right? War. Uh, So that would be two-thirds of a billion people will be killed. Far more than, than any war before. Uh, but what, what I'm getting at is it's not necessarily going to be limited to what we call war. So we think of war, well, a bunch of soldiers going against a bunch of other soldiers and they kill each other. And it may not bother us so much because uh, I'm not a soldier, right? You know, I have my comfortable home here in Fremont, California. I don't really have to worry about uh, war casualties. Uh, but it's not what it says. It says people will be killing one another. Uh, what happened in Maine? Uh, somebody picks a gun and, and he shoots a bunch of, bunch of people. Uh, what happened in Israel a couple of weeks ago? Uh, people went out uh, for a concert and they got attacked by terrorists and hundreds of people were killed, right? So it, th- there will be no safety on the face of the earth from this killing. Right? You're not going to be safe because you live in the Bay Area. Um, everybody, everybody is going to be in danger. There's only—this uh, is an interesting statistics: 28 million soldiers in the world. Right? Right now, as far as like registered as serving in an army of any country, uh, two-thirds of a billion. That's like more than 20 times that amount. Right? So for every soldier that will die, 19 civilians will during this period of time. So it'll be a terrible, terrible uh, time. Uh, the other thing that's, that kind of connects in my mind with that is, um, and, and in all these judgments, we see that there's a certain aspect in which God's righteousness is revealed in the judgment. Uh, we looked at uh, at this verse too, I think David pointed out to, uh, to us that uh, during the end times, um, the restraining effect of the Holy Spirit will be removed. Right now, the Bible t- tells us that the Holy Spirit is restraining people from doing all the evil things that they would otherwise uh, do. Right? There's, there's a lot of uh, you know, anger that passes through our heart, and, uh, and we don't act on it, maybe because we're concerned there's a police officer that's watching, uh, that, you know, and we'll end up having to go to jail. Uh, And some of it might be God's restraining, convicting me. You shouldn't do that, even though you might want uh, to do that. Uh, That that restraint is going to be taken off. And so this killing that's being done is the expression of people's sinfulness. Right? Uh, We chose to rebel against God. We don't think we need to follow God. Uh, Well, if I don't have to follow God, neither does my neighbor. Well, what if my neighbor wants to kill me? What's to stop it? Right? So our justifying living a life as we want to instead of the life that God wants us to is opening us to this judgment. God says, fine, <laughs> license to sin. Right? Let's see what life is like on the earth when people do whatever they want to do. Right? So God is righteous in unleashing this judgment. He's letting us suffer the consequence of our sin. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. What happened? The sons killed one another, right? If you're not, if there's no standard of righteousness, if you're not going to follow God's law, what will protect you from other people doing what they want to do to you? So it's, it's, God is, is righteous in expressing this judgment. Okay, the uh, next horseman, so this would be the third seal. A black uh, horse, horseman often does, black, uh, refers to, to woe. Uh, In this case, it uh, represents uh, a famine. It's interesting, Uh, if we can go to the next picture, look. uh, There's uh, there's a pair of scales in his hand. I don't know how easy it is to see uh, in these pictures, but you can kind of see there's a pair of scales. Uh, They used to use it in commerce in the past. Uh, If you went to the market to buy something, uh, let's say you wanted to buy a pound of wheat uh, you wanted to make sure you really got your pound of wheat that you were paying for, and so they would have a, you know, a, a known weight measure, call it a pound, and uh, then they would pull wheat into the other side of the scale until the two were balanced, and so you knew you got your, your pound of wheat. Um, so it, it represents the fact that things would become uh, more expensive, in a sense. Uh, and that's, that's what the verses say. Um, so he has a pair of scales and then it says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So it's, it's, the numbers may not mean much to us because uh, we don't deal with denariuses today. But a denarius was typically considered uh, one day's wage. So you'd work for one day, uh, you'd get a denarius. So I'm not going to make you do the math. Uh, I did it for you. Uh, this would basically translate, you go to the store and uh, your wife says, can you please get a bag of, of, of wheat, uh, sorry, flour for me, because uh, I want to make some brownies or bread, you know, whatever it is that you want. I go to the store and I see this. Okay, uh, one of these will be $400. Okay. (laughs) you sure you want to make brownies today? Well, the problem is this will not be just a one-time occurrence. This will be the normal price for items during this period of of three and a half years, right? And probably things will actually get worse later on. Uh, What does that mean? Uh, Probably not making brownies. Uh, when we 're making bread uh, for a house we 're probably going to very carefully make sure each person gets his fair portion, and a lot of people are going to die from starvation. This is what it means. Again, you know, thinking of the numbers, two thirds of a billion people are going to die from starvation during these three and a half years. Um, when I grew up. Uh, the first famine I remember hearing about was in Ethiopia. There was a, a big famine in the mid-80s. Uh, and I heard about it because there was a lot of fundraisers going on. Israel actually sent some planes to like, get people who may have had some Jewish uh, roots to them, um, could claim some, some Jewish blood. And they actually broke the world record at the time. They had, I think, like 1,000 people on one plane. Uh, of course, no luggage, and these were people who have gone through a famine, so, you know, they did not weigh as much as most people do. But, uh, like, one or two million people died. I mean, it was a terrible famine. One or two pe- million people died, which represented, you know, maybe two to five percent of the population, right? Which, which again, is a terrible famine. Uh, this is going to be much worse. What, what's coming upon the world. Um, terrible times. I, as I was preparing the sermon a couple of times, I wanted to, well, maybe I should have some pictures of what it looks like when people you know, are died, being killed by people, what it looks like when people are dying from famine. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I mean, you look at these images, and it's like, I can't show this at church. Right? I don't want to look at it myself. Uh, you know, it's, it's that terrible, right? what we're talking about. Uh, Again, you know, we want to consider that God is righteous in what he's doing, as terrible as his judgments are. Uh, We don't think about it, but our food comes from God. Psalm 145 says, uh, The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. All our food comes ultimately from God. Yes, we we can claim, uh, well, I worked for it. You know, I I have a job and I'm paying for it. Uh, If I was a farmer, I can claim, well, I grew it. I worked with the labors of my hand. And yet, uh, ultimately, these things come from God. Uh, And that will become very obvious during this period of tribulation where there'll be scarcity throughout the whole earth. Uh, Nobody uh, will be able to you know, change what is happening. That doesn't matter how hard you're going to work, how much money you have. Uh, you're not going to be able to fix this problem of scarcity uh, and, and see loved ones perhaps uh, die from starvation. Ultimately, uh, God is the one who gives us and we don't recognize it, we don't thank him for it. And so God is righteous if he decides to withhold food from us. We, we have no right to complain. Uh, The fourth uh, seal uh, brings about the pale horse we talked about. Generally, uh, that is associated uh, with pestilence, because if you would remember, Jesus talked about wars, famines, and pestilences uh, hitting the earth. And uh, we're familiar with uh, pestilences. Uh, We just went through COVID. Um, That was uh, perhaps bad enough Uh, All. All of us uh, were shut up in our houses for a time trying to minimize uh, the casualties. I took a recent look at the statistics for COVID, and uh, this is what, what you will see. It, it shows the number of people who got sick uh, and the number of people who died. Uh, probably the numbers are somewhat low, uh, certainly as far as the number of people who got sick. I think at this point, probably 8 billion people had COVID. Uh, but... The number of people died is probably closer to the actual truth. So this shows 7 million people died. Uh, and again, it's, you know, terrible. Uh, I, I don't have any loved one that died from COVID, but I know of people. Uh, I knew people who, who died uh, from COVID. So it certainly was bad enough. But 7 million people, uh, two-thirds of a billion people. Right? That's, that's a factor of a hundred. A hundred times more people are going to die from pestilences during this time. Uh, and it won't likely be a single disease, right? You're not going to be able to go to the doctor. Well, okay, here's, here's the shot. He'll fix that because there'll be many pestilences, many different kinds of diseases are going to hit mankind all at once. Um, again, thinking of God's righteousness in it, we don't. Um, appreciate how much control God has over uh, our lives. Uh, I was thinking of um, uh, I kind of referred to Adam and Eve's uh, sin and being put out of the garden. They were also judged um, in other ways. Uh, In uh, Genesis 3.17 God uh, says to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So, uh, God could have just killed Adam and Eve when they sinned against him. Right? That could have been the end of mankind. Uh, but God chose to, while well, well, they did die spiritually, meaning they became separated from God, and if God wouldn't do uh, anything to prevent it, they would die Eternally, they would be separated from God for all of eternity in the lake of fire. But right now, they had a span of time on the earth. They got to live like you and I do, uh, with these bodies that God gave us. But God made sure that it would not be a comfortable life. Right? They would have these thorns and thistles. Uh, they'd have to sweat. They'd have to work hard. Uh, why? Why? Because God doesn't want them to think things are okay. Imagine what it would be like if life would be perfect for them, and then they died, and then they went to hell, right? They'd be like, I didn't know. I thought life was just going to be perfect, and, you know, everything is good, and yeah, maybe one day I'm no longer here. But God wanted them to know things are not perfect. You are separated from me. You've sinned against me, uh, and there's eternal judgment waiting. And these thorns, all these bad things that happen in this life are to be a reminder, a warning to us, things are not well. You need a savior. You need a savior. And uh, I would class, personally, pestilences together with thorns and thistles, right? The things that make life difficult here. Now, God has given us immune systems uh, that are able to fight against these pestilences that come against us and Thankfully, modern medicine can help us as well, Uh, but it's like a balance. You know, who's gonna, what's gonna win? Is it going to be my immune system? Or is it going to be this disease that came upon me? uh, And nine times out of 10, maybe 99 times out of 100, my immune system wins and I live. Uh, But it's like a dial that God can turn. And during this time, God is turning the dial and uh, the pestilences that will come will be more severe so that instead of you winning 99 out of 100, uh, maybe you win three times out of four, right? Or maybe one times out of two, right? The diseases are gonna be so serious that uh, people are going to, to be dying again in the millions. Uh, like I said, two-thirds of a billion people during this three and a half years are going to die from pestilences. So, Terrible, terrible times are coming on this world. Um, I have a, a picture here. I don't know how many of you have, have followed what's been happening in Israel, but I think it's two weeks ago. Uh, I don't know if I'm off by a week. I seem to remember it was uh, Saturday or a Sunday. So either two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Um, Hundreds of of uh, Hamas terrorists came out of Gaza, and and started like uh, killing people in Israel indiscriminately. Uh, some they took as hostages. Uh, that was deliberate. They they wanted hostages to either try to convince Israel not to uh, punish them for what they did, or to be able to trade those hostages for uh, Palestinian. Uh, In Israel jails. But uh, 1,400, that's the latest number I heard. I don't know if if that number has been updated since. 1,400 Israelis died during that day, probably just a few hours. Um, That's a lot of people, 1,400 people. Uh, But we don't, in my opinion, people here don't appreciate how traumatic of an event that was to Israel. One way we could maybe uh, try to appreciate it is just look at the population difference. So in Israel, you have about 7 million uh, Jews. And so 1,400 people out of a seven, 7 million would be uh, about 66,000 people out of 330 million, which is what we have in the United States. So just imagine that 9-11 instead of being, I think it was about 3,000 people that were killed in 9-11. Imagine if that was 66,000 people. Instead of just taking out the Twin Towers, uh, they leveled several neighborhoods in New York City. Um, that's, that's the kind of effect that this has uh, on Israel. Uh, people are, are in shock. And... Um, and life has changed in Israel, perhaps forever. Like I said, just mentally speaking, uh, people are so ready for some solution, right? And, and there's just no, no easy solution uh, to that problem. So I'm trying to translate that, what would it be like uh, during this three and a half years? How traumatic is that going to be uh, on people going uh, through that? Uh, in Israel, you could kind of say this, Everybody knows someone who lost someone, right? But not everybody lost someone. I, I haven't lost any, any friends or relatives during this event. Uh, but I know people that lost people, right? Uh, what would it be like when a quarter of the population died? Uh, in my family, we're gonna lose one or two, members. and I'm talking about immediate nucleus family, right? You're going to lose your husband or wife. You're going to lose a child or a parent. You're going to lose a sibling. Everybody, everybody is going to be losing someone very, very close to them, and maybe more, probably more than one person. Um, Again, God God has a purpose, and and part of it we know will be the destruction of the world as we know it. It's a judgment. Uh, It's a world that has been shaking its fist against God for 6,000 years, right? And finally, God is going to bring it to an end. We've been saying, where, where is the promise of his coming? It's now, right? It will be very, very clear to people. Uh, at the end of the chapter, chapter 6, people are going to be hiding in caves and on the rocks of the mountain, saying to the mountains and the rocks, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. But the great day of his wrath has come. There's going to be no doubt, right? People will know the judgment of God has finally come upon us. Um, But God wants to save the people who are alive during that time, right? We just read in 2 Peter, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all uh, to come to repentance. What impact will this... uh, These tragedies have on people to make them realize that they need a Savior. And we know, as we continue to study in Revelation, there will be a great multitude, a great multitude which no one can number, that will come out of the tribulation period and will be clothed in white and will be with God for all of eternity. So praise God. He's using these terrible times uh, for the salvation of people. I think it was uh, three weeks ago when we were looking at um, this interlude. Uh, So right before this judgment started in chapter five, uh, God um, gave uh, John a glimpse of the throne room of heaven, and in the throne room of heaven, uh, God on the throne had the scroll in his hand, and an angel said, who is worthy? Who is worthy to come and and open the scroll and to lose its seals? we're seeing now Jesus opening the seals, right? And as he opened the seals, this terrible judgment uh, coming upon the world. Uh, so we go back to the thought, who is worthy? Who is worthy to bring these terrible judgments upon the earth? And we see Jesus is worthy, but why is Jesus worthy? Uh, that was answered in Revelation 5, as I said, verse 8 uh, through 10. Revelation 5, 8 says, Now when he, that is Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue, and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Why was Jesus worthy to loose this judgment upon the earth? He was worthy because he died. He died for the sins of everybody on the earth, and he's offering them salvation. And so the ball, as they say it, is now in your court. Right? Jesus died, for your sins, and he is now coming to judge people for their sins. And you can choose which one do you want. Do you want Jesus as a savior, who died for you because he did? Or do you want him as a judge? Because he is coming to judge the world. The choice is yours. Choose now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that before judgment uh, will come on this world. Uh, salvation has been offered. Jesus died uh, for our sins so that we will not have to be judged uh, for our sins. And instead, Lord, uh, you've, you've made a place for us to be with you in heaven for all of eternity. Lord, I, I pray for anyone here who may not know you, doesn't, has not yet placed their confidence in you, trusted in you to be their savior. We ask that you help them Understand and put their faith in you. We pray if it's your will that they might even do it today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.